our world seems to veer towards disunity. The work to connect with others is so much more difficult than to just split away from those we disagree with. How do we become witnesses to those around us? Are people watching us go with the world or are they able to see us stand out as a light for Jesus? The work to come together is tough, but Jesus makes it possible. The most unity we should see in the world is between God's people. God brings us together in ways we can't imagine. Through each aspect of our lives, God proves to us that He is immeasurably more. Hey, Purpose Church, my name is Claire, and I get to serve as our student ministries pastor here at Purpose, and I am so glad that you are tuning in. I'm so honored to be together. It's one of my favorite places to be, even virtually being together, opening up God's Word. And I'm so honored to be continuing our series, Immeasurably More, a study in Ephesians. And today we have landed at the beginning of chapter chapter three. Now to get a little bit of a better understanding of where we're at in Ephesians, I want to share with you how some people think about the way that Ephesians is structurally organized. So the book of Ephesians has six chapters and some people break it up into two parts and they talk about how chapters one through three is the wow and chapters four through six is the now. So people talk about how thematically in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul focuses on the wow, the awe of the gospel. And in so many ways, that's what we've been studying together the last several weeks, that the wow of the gospel is that in Christ, God chose us before the creation of the world. This is that in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is that in Christ, we are forgiven. We are adopted into God's family. The wow is that we were once dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God has made us alive together in Christ. That is the wow of the gospel. And then Paul, after he spends time in awe of what God has done in Jesus, he shifts his focus in the last three chapters of Ephesians to talk about if that is the wow of the gospel, then how should believers live now in light of what Christ has done? And today, as we begin chapter three, I really think that it acts as a hinge between the wow and the now. And as we will keep studying together, Paul will get a lot more specific and practical about how to live our lives in light of the gospel. But in chapter three, I believe that he starts to lay out how God wants us to live in light of the gospel. So would you open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter three? I'm our high school pastor and we have a saying every week that we say, bring a Bible and bring a friend because we wanna be a community that's all about being in God's word and inviting others into it. So would you join me in bringing a Bible, bringing a friend and let's read together Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, 
Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in Jesus and through faith in Jesus, we may approach you with freedom and confidence. God, I pray that through your word, you would mold us and shape us to be the people who follow after you, the church that follows after you, that you want us to be. We give you our full attention and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this message in a lot of ways is a continuation of Pastor Eric's from last week. And that kind of makes a lot of sense because Paul did not write this letter with chapters and verses. This was one continuous letter. And chapter three that we just read together, verse one started with the words, for this reason. And that's an indicator for us that everything that we just read, it only makes sense because of what preceded it, what came before. And so to remind us where Paul is coming from, let's go back to the end of chapter two, verses 19 through 22, which we studied together last week. Chapter two, verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What we see in those verses and what we studied last week is that believers in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that there is something significant that happens. And that is we become living our whole lives in the truth that we is better than me. That consequently, because of what Jesus has done, as a result of that, there are things as a believer that are absolutely true of you and the church because you cannot have Jesus without his church. 
we talked about how you can't faithfully follow Jesus without the church. You can't fulfill God's purpose without the church. And you cannot fully experience God's presence apart from the church. And today we are continuing into these ideas and we're asking the question, why is the church necessary? And we're just going to jump right into it. There's no big lead up. The church is necessary because the church is God's chosen vessel to reveal the mystery of the gospel and spread its message of hope to everyone everywhere. The church is God's chosen vessel to reveal the mystery of the gospel and spread its message of hope to everyone everywhere. And we need to talk just for a minute about the difference between the church and the church, because these are related ideas, but they are also distinct. And understanding each one gives us a better understanding of the other. Maybe you hear some Christians talk about the big C church and the little C church. And basically what that means, the big C church refers to every believer in Christ all over the world. It's the family of God that believers become a part of the instant they place their faith in Jesus. It's the big C global church. But then we also have little C churches, and this refers to more individual local churches. And so Purpose Church is an example of a little C church. And it's important for us to understand these differences, but also the relationship between these churches, because sometimes we get a little caught up in our little C church. And we need to remember that God's church is way bigger than any single church. But Sometimes we get so caught up in the bigness of the big C church that we neglect the little C church. And here is the thing. God's big C church is so much bigger than any one little church, but we need to invest in the little C church like it's a part of the big C church because it is. And God wants to use his church, little C churches contributing to his big C church to keep revealing himself to the rest of the world who doesn't know him yet. We see this idea all over chapter three, especially as Paul keeps repeating this word mystery, especially in verses three and four, Paul talks about the mystery of Christ that Paul is given special insight into. And that can bring up a few questions like, okay, what does it mean that God has a mystery? Is, is God kind of hiding himself or his plans from his people? Is, is God trying to like tease us? And we can be comforted that through scripture, we see in God's character that he is not sinister or he's not a prankster like that. Instead, the Greek word for mystery that's used in Ephesians 3 in the original language, it's this word mysterion, and it means a mystery or a secret. But something that's really cool is the root of this word in the Greek is actually myo, I think that's how you say it, which means initiate. So what's cool is that the mystery of God means a mystery or a secret of which initiation is necessary. So within the mystery of God is actually an invitation 
to learn the secret and the mysteries of God. And something that's so special, it's, it's a grace really, is that the invitation to get to know the mystery of God comes from God himself. That he's not hiding from us, that he wants to reveal himself. And there's a few ways that we can think about the mystery of God, but here's one way that I think is really helpful for our study of Ephesians 3. We can think about the mystery of God being like this. God is God, and we as humans, we are not. <laughs> that, that God, in his presence, we are sinful human beings, and he is holy and perfect. And because of that difference, there are parts of God and his plans that we don't fully understand, that are a mystery to us. Maybe you've heard these words in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is different from us. And hopefully that's a relief and good news because God is unfailing and he never changes. God is holy and holy just means that he's set apart, that us and God, we are different. We are not the same. And so when we come to know God, it's like dipping our toes into the ocean. When you go into the ocean and you put your feet in and your toe deep, you're experiencing the ocean, right? Like you're feeling the water, but only a small part of it. And so think about maybe some of the times that you've experienced God's love and goodness in your own life. That we are only experiencing, we are experiencing him in those moments, but we're only experiencing so much of him because there's so much of him to know. We can experience and therefore know God's love, but we're only toe deep. We only know a part of it. We can know and experience God's goodness, but we're only toe deep. And on this side of eternity, there is so much depth to God that the Christian life should be one of us continually going deeper and deeper into who God is and growing in maturity in Christ by his grace. To keep going with that metaphor or illustration of the ocean, the Christian life should be one of us being toe deep and experiencing the goodness of God. But then continuing to walk until we're ankle deep and then waist deep until we are swimming in the depths of who God is and his plans for the world. In this way, we can think of God as having mysteries, that there are things about him and his plans that we are still getting to know. And the key is that we only know God and his mysteries because he reveals himself to us. And that is such a gift. We wouldn't know God if he did not show himself to us. Remember that Greek word musterion, that God's own initiation, it's his own choice that he reveals himself to us, to the world. It reminds me of John chapter one, verses four and five. We're talking about Jesus. Scripture says, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not over. 
overcome it. You see, without Christ, we are not light and we are not living in the light. We are in darkness. I loved how Pastor Glenn shared a few weeks ago that before coming to Christ, we like to think of ourselves as neutral with God. That, yeah, we weren't perfect, but we weren't that bad. And so it didn't cost God a lot to save us. But no, scripture is clear that before Christ, we were enemies with God, that we were children of wrath, that we were living in darkness. We could not see, we didn't have any understanding of who God is, and therefore we didn't understand who we are. And today, scientists, they actually define darkness not as something that exists by itself as a physical thing, but they simply define it as the absence of light. And I love that concept because if we think about that through a spiritual lens, we can think about darkness, the absence of light, as the absence of God's presence. And that absence, that separation from light, and therefore our experience of darkness, that is the righteous and just consequence that we pay for our sin. That because we have sinned and disobeyed God, because we fall short of his glory, the the price for that is separation from God, an absence of light and therefore darkness. Uh, an easy way to, to think about sin, we talked about it last week, is if you think about the way that sin is even spelled, I is in the middle. So sin is whenever I think I am the center of the universe and I should have whatever I want. Sin is when we trust ourselves more than we trust God. And because that is true of every single one of us. We are in darkness. We are separated from God. But thanks be to God that he did not leave us in darkness, but he sent his son Jesus to save us. He lived the perfect life that you and I never could. So then when he was put to death, he was the perfect payment for our sins. And then he rose from the dead on the third day to offer us everlasting life and forgiveness in him. In other words, We as sinners, we only have a concept of light because we understand what it's like to live without light. And we know light. We've experienced it because God himself has come through Jesus to be the light in our darkness. We only know God and his mysteries because he reveals himself to us. And scripture tells us that God longs to reveal himself to humanity. And here are just a few ways that God reveals himself to the world. God reveals himself through creation. Looking outside God's beautiful nature, he's revealing himself through scripture that these words are not just ancient texts, but they are the alive and active word of God. God also reveals himself in our own hearts. And then of course, the the pinnacle of how God has revealed himself to the world is in Jesus Christ, his son. This passage in Colossians talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus makes visible who God is, that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell 
And so we don't need to look further than Jesus to know who God is. But now through our study of Ephesians, there's something profound happening. There is another way that God is revealing himself to the world. He's revealing himself through creation, through scripture, in our hearts, in Jesus Christ, and now through his church. Ephesians chapter 3 Going back to verses 9 through 11, Paul talks about how his job from God was to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love the English Standard Version translation of verse 9 where Paul talks about his role is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. It's clear The church is meant to be one of the main ways that God shines his light into the world. The church is meant to be one of the main ways that God reveals himself. That in these days, after Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, God wants to primarily reveal himself, make himself visible in this world and reveal the mysteries of who he is, the goodness of the gospel through his church. And that is why the church is necessary and why it's oh so important. And before we really lean into that, we need to remember the foundation. We need to remember where we're coming from, that the church's perspective needs to always be God's grace. Remember the wow of the gospel. Because God showed grace in revealing himself to the world, but he also showed grace in choosing us, his church, to be his vessel. And Paul totally understands that. And he sets an example for us. I love verse eight that we read together, where Paul says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. There's a humility here. Paul knows exactly who he is apart from Christ. He is nothing. He is sinful, but God has given him grace. But Paul is not only humble, but he takes responsibility. And and he knows that it is a privilege to be given work to do in Christ. And that work that he's doing in Christ to preach to Jews and Gentiles that they are one in the family of God, that message, that work has actually landed him in prison. He's in chains because of what God is asking him to do. But Paul, his perspective on life is so encompassed by Christ and the the grace of God that Paul doesn't say that he's a prisoner of a city or he's a prisoner of a nation. He says that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that he even sees it as God's will that he is in chains because it's for God's glory. And so Paul's perspective 
informs the church's perspective. That we should realize that the church is given a huge opportunity from God and we should be blown away. We should be humbled that God has bestowed and given his grace to us and chose us. And that helps us remember that we are the church and that we serve from grace, not for grace. That we're not trying to earn God's affection. We're not um, trying to earn our way to be saved, but instead we are serving out of a response in worship and thankfulness for all that God has done through Christ Jesus. So once we have God's grace giving us the right perspective and keeping our posture right before God, then we can step into our mission. And the church's mission is what we've been talking about together this whole time. The church is God's chosen vessel to reveal the mystery of the gospel and spread its message of hope to everyone, everywhere. The church's mission is to give the world a glimpse into the great love of God, that the church's mission is to reflect the character of Jesus into the world so people who don't know him yet will see him and put their faith in him. And so we need to spend the rest of our time together considering these serious questions because if all of that is true, If the wow of the gospel is true and God has chosen his church believers to reveal himself to the world, then we need to consider and ask this honest question, church, how's our witness? All believers in Christ, how are we actually doing at revealing God's goodness and sharing his gospel to the world? On an individual level, but also as a little C church contributing to the big C church, how are we actually doing at being the church? And these are such important questions because the reality is that we are always pointing people to something. We are always setting an example in the way that we live our lives, our words, our choices, our behaviors. We are either revealing Jesus to other people or something else. And I fear that if we are unintentional or if we are not relying on Jesus, then we won't show people Jesus, but we will show them something lesser. This concept is is an idea that is so ingrained in my heart and in my mind because of this little note right here. A few years ago, um, during one of my summers in college, I did a discipleship training program with my ministry, The Navigators. And so a bunch of college students got together. We um, lived and worked together. We ran Bible studies and I discipled young women and we evangelized. And it was one of my first times leading in ministry. And it was so awesome. By the end of that summer, I felt like I had gained these really awesome relationships and had little brothers and sisters. And at the end of that summer, one of those little brothers gave me this note. And this is some of what he wrote. Claire, thank you so much for looking out for me and being a great friend. Thanks again for hanging out with me during the first program night when I was feeling down. That moment gave me the confidence to build relationships with everyone this summer. 
Thanks for making this summer amazing. Now, when I first read these words, I was instantly encouraged, but I was also immediately terrified because here's the thing, if I can confess something. I don't remember that first night of program. <laughs> the night that Corey is talking about that changed his whole summer, I, I don't remember it. When I first read those words, I was like, okay, I, I kind of remember that Corey was feeling nervous and, and discouraged that first night. And my cousin knew that he was mentoring Corey. And so we took Corey along with us to run these errands that we needed to do. But I can't tell you what I said to Corey. I can't tell you what questions I asked him. Even if I asked him any questions, I can't tell you if I was kind to him. I don't remember. I was just living my life. And here's the thing. That night changed Corey's whole summer. That night meant so much to him. And I had no idea the impact that I was making on him. And so I've kept this note for all these years because it's such an encouragement, but it also serves as such a warning for me that I am always setting an example and making an impact on people. That's not the question. The question is, am I pointing people to Jesus or to something lesser? And I have that same question for each one of us and here are some more ways that we can evaluate what kind of example we are setting for the people around us. And as I prepare to ask these questions, I want you to remember that our foundation is God's grace. So I am not asking these questions to shame you, but as one of your pastors, I'm challenging you to be open to how God's grace might be calling you higher. This first question a mentor asked me once, so don't get mad if this convicts you because uh, it wasn't me, it was my mentor. If a stranger, thinking about your own life, if a stranger got a transcript of every word you spoke that day, would they know that you love Christ <laughs> and therefore love others? Think about it. All the words that you speak publicly and privately, yes, behind that person's back and online. If someone only got uh, pages and pages of every word that you spoke in a single day, could they tell just by your words that you love Christ and therefore love others? If a stranger got a list of everything you followed and watched on social media, Netflix, YouTube, and Spotify, if someone got access to the screen time on your phone, could they tell that you spend the majority of your time not on those things, but on meditating on God's word day and night? If a stranger saw your bank statements, and not the amounts, but if they saw what you were putting your money towards, could they see your generosity and would they know that you've experienced the generosity of Jesus? And if someone saw your calendar this month, I, I'm a big Google calendar girl. If someone saw your calendar, could they see that the way you spend the time that God has given you, could they see that you use it in a way that makes it seem that church is just optional for you? Or is it absolutely necessary because of the reality that you have been reconciled with Christ? 
I think those are hard questions, but they help us consider whether we are pointing people with our lives to Jesus or to something lesser. And I'm in graduate school getting my master's of ministry. And a few weeks ago, one of my professors, he was talking about how maybe you've heard it before that some people say, well, I would believe in Jesus if he wasn't in the clouds. Like God is invisible and he's somewhere up in heaven. And if I could just see him with my own two eyes, then that would change everything for me. Then I'd put my faith in him. And I've never thought about this before, but my professor said that those are the most convicting words he's ever heard. Because if someone's looking for God in the clouds, it means that he has not been the hands and feet of Jesus that's showing God's love to that person with their own eyes. And that goes for each of us individually. Are we showing people, are we revealing who God is to the people around us by the way that we're living individually, but also as a church? Purpose. We are always being an example and making an impact on people. The question is, are we pointing them to Jesus or to something lesser? The most unity that we should see in the world should be within God's church. Are we revealing God to the world with a unity that, that crosses political opinions and generations? Are we living with a unity that the world has never seen before? The most kindness and patience that we see in the world should be from God's church. Are we truly kind with our words, generosity and actions and wisdom in the way the world has never seen before? The most compassion we see in the world should be from God's church. Are we loving each other and our neighbors, the people we pass in the street, our coworkers, our teammates in a way the world has never seen before? in a way that demonstrates to people the love of God in Christ that is better than anything else in this world? Are we showing people a glimpse of God's unfailing and perfect love? Are we pointing people to the God of the universe who loves them so much that he came to earth to save them? Church, we've got a God to make known to the world that God's inviting us to reveal to people through the ways that we love each other within the church and to those who don't know the good news yet. And because of that, I have a church-wide challenge for every single one of us. I want all of us every day this week, in light of everything we've studied together, to pray for someone in your life and encourage them by sharing at least one way you see God in them or are thankful for them. And I want us to do this for a different person every single day. And I want us to alternate between people in our church family and people who don't know Jesus yet, your oikos. We talk about that a lot here at Purpose. Your oikos is the eight to 10 people in your sphere of influence. And I want us to be all about encouraging others in this next week. We shared earlier that uh, last weekend, I got to be with our students for winter camp and I got to witness our seniors encouraging one another, just like I'm challenging us to encourage people this week. 
And it was so beautiful to see these seniors stand up for each other and sharing what scripture reminds them of each other and why they appreciate each other. Encouragement is really simple, but it's powerful. And if, as we've studied in Ephesians, the wow of the goodness of the gospel has been revealed to us, then we have to start somewhere in revealing and sharing the gospel to the world. And I believe that we can start doing that as a Little C Church this week by encouraging and praying for someone new every single day. And now as we wrap up our study of Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 13, I actually do have one more challenge for you. And that's the moment you're finished listening to this, look up the song King of Kings by Hillsong Worship. I love this song because it tells the story of the gospel, that it tells the story of God revealing himself to the world. And so if you've heard the gospel before, then when you listen to the song, it'll be like you're getting the gospel preached at you again. But if you've never heard the gospel before, then those words, I really want you to listen to them because that is the good news of what God has done for you in Christ, how he's revealed himself to you. It's the wow of the gospel. But then by the end of the song, it moves into the now. And it reminds us that the gospel didn't end with Jesus's resurrection, but that he has given us a mission as his big C church. Towards the end of the song, the lyrics say, for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of Christ was born. Then the spirit lit the flame. Now the gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. Just a few days ago, our church got to host our Transformation Ministries conference. And a couple of years ago, we did a similar conference, but specifically for young ministry leaders. And we ended that conference in worship to the song, King of Kings. And after we finished, one of our um, older saints came up on the stage and and he's so wise. He's one of our mentors. And so all of us leaned in to, to see what he would have to share with us. And I'll never forget that he looked at us with tears in his eyes and just said, I'm so grateful that we ended our time together worshiping to that song. Because as we sang those words that the church of Christ was born, I was looking out at all of you and I just thought, I wish I was where you are at. I wish I was just starting on this journey of living out, being the church, revealing who God is to the world and sharing the gospel truth of old to the world who so desperately needs it. Believers in Jesus, we are the church and the church is completely necessary because God made it that way to reveal himself to the world. And we need every believer in every generation and every person to be the church if we really are going to see everyone everywhere following Jesus.